0: Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... Daddy! And who could forget... Well, the good news is is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped.
1: You're
2: listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Rishi Sunak calls Labour's attacks on his wife ugly smears while batting back criticism of her financial arrangements as he attempts to play ping-pong with a King Kong-sized non-dom ding-dong with a sing-song that she hasn't done a thing wrong. Russia denies responsibility for a missile attack on Kramatorsk station in Ukraine that kills 50 people and injures hundreds more, as Vladimir Putin continues to cement his legacy as a man who will drop cluster munitions on your schools and tell you it's raining. The UK unveils its new energy strategy with plans to build eight new nuclear reactors as Business Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng announces a review of the government's stance on fracking. So that's more nuclear waste stored underground, and potentially more earthquakes. Nope, I can't see any problem with that arrangement. And finally, far-right activist Tommy Robinson is deported from Mexico, as the country chooses to define irony for him by defending its borders from violent foreign criminals. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, finally Covid-free, barring the occasional crippling and piercing chest pains that come out of absolutely nowhere, so that's fun, and you're finally listening to another episode of IC News. It's been two weeks since we were last able to properly cover the war in Ukraine, and the picture there is looking increasingly bleak indeed. Having suffered heavy losses, Russian forces have withdrawn from around Kyiv and the wider north of the country in order to focus on the eastern region of the Donbas. In their wake, they have left hundreds of butchered civilians in what appears to be deliberate and targeted massacres. This targeting of civilians has extended to Russia's artillery campaigns, which have continually bombarded residential areas and transport routes used by those trying to evacuate Ukraine's besieged urban centres. As a result, sanctions have been ramped up and Russia was temporarily suspended before then quitting the UN Human Rights Council. Ukraine's allies in the West continue to walk an awkward tightrope act between answering Ukraine's need for further military support and direct Russian provocation, while Russia regroups and prepares for a full assault in Donetsk and Luhansk. The question for the West is just what the reaction will be, should it be officially established that Russian troops are committing genocide, while for many Ukrainians the question is now one of pure survival. Vladimir Putin is looking increasingly like a man with nothing left to lose, and worrying reports coming out of Russia seem to indicate that he will now settle for nothing less than a complete erasure of the Ukrainian national identity. Still, um, comedy podcast, and there aren't a huge number of laughs to be milked out of literal genocide, unless, of course, you're Jimmy Carr, Uh, which I'm not. My laugh might be awful, but it doesn't sound like a howler monkey being fed dick first into a mangle. We're going to move swiftly on to our studio discussion, which this week focuses on the historical appointment of the first black woman to the US Supreme Court. Appointments to the highest court in America have been particularly contentious over the last few years, and this one was no different. Joining us now to talk about Katanji Brown-Jackson, it's Che Burnley.
1: Oh, I'm not just here to talk about Katanji Brown-Jackson, Sam. I'm here to be Katanji Brown-Jackson. Sat here, answering stupid fucking questions from white people performing for social media who have no respect for my actual skill set. So I'll just head all of this off at the pass now, shall I? No, I don't think all white babies are inherently racist. I think we should be arresting more murderers, not fewer. And I'm not a biologist, so no, I can't define what it means to be a woman. Uh, And no, I'm not pro-paedophile. I'm not even amateur paedophile. In fact, I'd even go as far to say that I think they might be bad people.
2: Well, I wasn't actually going to ask you the same questions that got thrown at her in the confirmation hearings, was I? But I suppose, in a hurtful and roundabout way, you've done a decent job of highlighting how ridiculous some of them were.
1: It's all just part of the carnival theatrics black people of note have come to expect, Sam. You rise to public prominence, and it doesn't matter how capable or talented you prove yourself to be, you're always going to get held to different standards. Katanji Jackson is no different. If you're a white bloke, you can throw a temper tantrum when you're accused of sexual assault and yell, I like beer and boofing, in a confirmation hearing. America will still make you a Supreme Court justice. But when you give perfectly reasonable answers and try your hardest to remain composed, but you just happen to be a black woman, you'll deadlock the committee vote for the first time since 1991.
2: To be fair, though, is that necessarily about race, or more about how partisan the process has become? Jackson has already been through several Senate confirmations in her legal career without incident. The Republican objection to her now seems purely
1: ideological. It absolutely is, Sam but when the excuse from Republicans for denying Jackson their vote was that they consider her to be an activist judge, it's hardly difficult to read the subtext. When you've got Ted Cruz waving around children's books and falsely claiming they insist babies are racist, it's pretty obvious the sort of activism the GOP are against. Then add to that the outcry when Biden announced his shortlist was all black women in the first place. It's pretty fucking difficult to deny that Jackson was subjected to a level of scrutiny and suspicion that a white candidate simply wouldn't have faced. She is one of the most qualified judges to be nominated to the Supreme Court in years, and these hearings were pure theatre that respected absolutely nothing about her accomplishments. Deeply worrying, dangerous theatre at that.
2: In what way?
1: Well, take Dick Durbin's questions for a start he decided to run with Josh Hawley's accusation that Jackson's sentencing history indicates she has a history of being lenient on child porn offenders. She absolutely doesn't, having fallen well within established sentencing guidelines throughout her career. But that hasn't stopped certified nutbag and QAnon uber-Karen Marjorie Taylor Greene from running with Hawley's false narrative. She's now outright labelled Jackson and all Democrats as pro-pedophile, as well as the Republican senators who have publicly said they would advance her confirmation. It's fucking mental and incredibly toxic and dangerous. This is
2: the same Marjorie Taylor Greene who recently voted against a bill designed to document and preserve evidence of war crimes during Russia's invasion of Ukraine, right? Yep, that's her. The woman who's currently doing fundraising tours with Matt Gates the American congressman currently under federal investigation for sex-trafficking children.
1: The very same.
2: And she's saying Katangi Brown Jackson is pro-paedophile.
1: As well as constantly attacking trans people, yes. Because obviously, they pose a far greater threat to children than an invading Russian army, or the actual non sat next to her at every rally. That's
2: some impressive cognitive dissonance.
1: Well, that's the first time the words impressive and cognitive have ever been used together in relation to Taylor Greensam. But the point is that Jackson's confirmation hearings weren't just used to push culture war talking points in the run-up to November's midterm elections. They were also used to push dangerous conspiracy theories to the forefront of American politics, and the Republican Party barely raised a squeak of protest. Katanji Brown-Jackson has just become the first black woman ever appointed to the Supreme Court. That should be a moment for celebration, but it's been brutally overshadowed by the realisation that America is apparently a country where Republicans still find it easier to advance dangerous QAnon nonsense than a black woman's career. I'm Che Burnley, still one of those pesky activist correspondents reporting for IC News.
2: Jay Burnley, thank you. And speaking of the culture war, here in Britain we heard from our very own culture war secretary this week as Nadine Dorries announced her plans to shake up the broadcasting landscape by hobbling and eviscerating the publicly owned Channel 4, the sale of which she claimed would be a wonderful testament to the legacy of Margaret Thatcher, who, um actually established Channel 4 in the first place. I'd say the Iron Lady would be spinning in her grave at the hypocrisy of Nadine's suggestion, but let's be honest, she's already turning on a spit somewhere in the seventh circle of hell anyway. Here's Tom King with more. Channel 4. It's been in the
0: crosshairs of this conservative government for some time now, and this week... (laughs) Culture Secretary. (laughs) Sorry. I still can't say that with a straight face. Um, Culture Secretary Nadine Dorries finally announced her long-expected plans to sell it off. The writing's been on the wall for a while now, such is this ridiculous government's spiteful attitude towards legitimate scrutiny and criticism. But it's still come as a bit of a shock. That's not because it's surprising that Doris would be willing to participate in such an act of cultural vandalism. It's because the plan is so absurdly economically illiterate that the financial argument she makes for it somehow manages to be the stupidest thing she's said yet. That Nadine Doris doesn't get public service broadcasting is hardly surprising. And why should she? She's only in charge of it, and clearly she thinks the definition of public service is to commit yourself wholeheartedly to fawning loyalty to the government, regardless of the stink of incompetence and corruption coming off it. When evaluating how Doris puts a value on anything, it's worth remembering that this is a woman who shamelessly exploits every culture war flashpoint she can leverage for populist gain. And she does it while simultaneously being rather dim and blaming every legitimate criticism of her clueless nonsense on screeching lefties and woke warriors. For the arts and independent media, she's a literal nightmare. A sort of Freddy Dunning-Kruger, slashing away without any care or comprehension of the damage she's inflicting. If you don't believe me, just watch her performance before the select committee last year, where it became very clear that despite planning to sell Channel 4 off, she didn't have even the most basic understanding of how it operates. This is our culture, Secretary, and it had to be pointed out to her in public that Channel 4 is not funded by the taxpayer. But in typical Doris fashion, when her own ignorance was laid bare before her instead of learning anything, she got angry and petulant and simply started dismissing any further questions. Assuming they know best, despite an overwhelming mountain of evidence to the contrary, is a disease for our political class, and it's one Doris is hopelessly riddled with. This is a woman who would prefer to angrily drown rather than accept constructive criticism from a snowflake swimming instructor. The problem is, of course, that she's wrapped her legs around a national asset like Channel 4 and is now determined to drag it down with her. Doris insists that the money raised from selling Channel 4 will be reinvested in left-behind areas and independent and creative skills. That sounds great on paper, until you consider the fact that Channel 4 actually does that every single year. Its entire commissioning budget is invested in places up and down the country, and often into independent productions that serve minority voices and stories. Doris hopes that the sale of Channel 4 will raise a billion pounds once and as a one-off when it goes ahead in 2024. In 2020 alone, Channel 4 invested £600 in the very independent skills and regions she claims the sale will support. It already does what she says the sale will achieve and does it constantly and on a rolling basis. In short, Nadine Doris wants to raise a billion pounds to invest in Arts and Culture – Once, by selling off a national asset that in its current form already does exactly that every 20 months or so. It is, put simply, blinkered and idiotic short-term thinking. Think of it like Channel 4's naked attraction. Doris has basically seen one willy she disagrees with and now plans to send home a rather lovely man who's actually far more of a grower than she's given him credit for. Her economic argument for this sale is self-evident rubbish that will actively harm the creative industries that it is her literal job to protect. And when you realise that, it becomes very clear that this move can only be an ideological one. This is a government that has already moved to silence protests, tried to limit the power of the courts to hold it to account, and has refused to participate in debates and interviews that could expose its corruption and incompetence. It's repeatedly disparaged the media and sought to minimise coverage of its own disgusting scandals. Moving to sell off an independent broadcasting voice without any indication from Doris that funding for its news output will be ring-fenced and protected is just a another sinister and authoritarian move from a set of corrupt hacks who can't bear to be questioned. And the cost to our democracy of that should be what we're really concerned about. I'm Tom King, just another lefty snowflake with a calculator, reporting for IC News.
3: I would argue that to say that just because Channel 4 has been established as a public service broadcaster and just because it's in receipt of public money, we should never kind of audit the future of Channel 4 and we should never evaluate how Channel 4 looks in the future and whether or not it's a sustainable and viable model. It's quite right that the government should do that.
0: But but Channel 4 is not like the BBC. Uh, It's not in receipt of licence fee money. It, it, It makes its money from commercial
2: operations. And... So, although it's... Yeah, and... Privatising Channel 4 might be a quick and easy way for this government to silence some of its critics, but the problem for any government facing the greatest squeeze to living standards since records began is that, well, quite a few people are critical of that sort of thing, particularly when the Chancellor's own household appears to be benefiting from every tax loophole his wife can squirrel a few million quid through. For the battered proletariat, things simply aren't anywhere near as comfortable, as millions of Brits cautiously entered April just a few short days ago, only to be immediately bitten by the double road vagina dentata of tax rises and inflation. The war in Ukraine is also contributing to rising food costs, as sanctions also bite backwards, and the country is one of the world's top grain producers. Hundreds of thousands of UK families now face an incredibly difficult financial situation, but that hasn't stopped some commenters on social media accusing them of having things too easy. Nostalgia is a weird and terrible drug, and Danny Sutcliffe has been travelling the multiverse this week to find a place where he can safely overdose.
3: The cost of living crisis. April 1st has come and gone, and British households are now facing soaring energy bills, as well as the uncomfortable double whammy of a 10% tax rise on their national insurance contributions. But today, I'm not here to talk about any of that. I'm here to talk about nostalgia and how fondly reminiscing about the brutalities of the not-so-distant past can help all of us through this modern crisis. You've probably seen a bit of this yourself on social media recently. I remember frost on the windows back in my day. Back then we had to share bath water, even in diarrhoea season. When I were a kid, we didn't have central eating. We had to bare knuckle fight pedophiles in the woods for firewood. And instead of Netflix, we all sat round in a group, taking turns to poke a dead dog with a fucking stick. Kids today don't know how easy they've got it. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, everyone. Do excuse me. It's not COVID, I promise. I'm not one of these modern softies with its 21st century diseases. What I've got is good old-fashioned 1820s black lung, and it never did me any harm. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, it hurts. Oh. Now, I'm a simple man of simple means. I long for the good old days before the mainstream media and Big Pharma came along to fill all of our hearts with dread and our bloodstreams with fake cures like insulin. Back in my day, if you couldn't fight your way out of a diabetic coma, that's how you got cancelled. There were no safe spaces... Not even in a hospital, which is why I personally think it's fucking great that our modern ambulances are now being turned away from a all over the country. There's nothing like dying on a gurney to put some air on your chest. And, as an added bonus, that hair is free insulation, so you can stop moaning about your fucking energy bills as well. <laughs> oh, God. Keep it together, Sutcliffe. Now look, kids, I know none of you have been impressed with this narrative recently. Don't think us in the older generation haven't heard you, because we fucking have! we actively pining for living standards to decline is pure sociopathy! Wah! Well, that's just unpatriotic nonsense. This isn't about wanting things to get worse. It's about shutting up and tolerating it when they do, so that nothing ever changes and the status quo can be preserved. And I know what you're thinking. That seems rather at odds with your anti-establishment credentials, Danny. I thought your old shtick was opposition to the neoliberal world order. Well, that was before I realised I was old, you bastards. Now that I've seen a generation of young people with a fucking temerity to suggest that one of the world's richest economies shouldn't be backsliding so drastically, my priorities have changed. I'm now fuelled entirely by a burning desire to punish the young with the very adversity I struggled with as a child. Because now that I'm successfully removed from it... I am of course free to suddenly decide that poverty is, in fact, character building. Provided you actually survive it, of course. (laughs) Fucking hell, I think that might be me pancreas. (sighs) But it doesn't matter, because I'm not a snowflake. Which is precisely why I've come here to Earth Tango Dickens Price Cap 32. Now that 32 is important, because not only is it this universe's multiversal coordinate destination, try saying that three times fast, but it's also the average life expectancy. This is a world that's truly embraced the grit and working class spirit that nostalgia demands by doing away with all the burdensome legal red tape that's made modern life so nauseatingly comfortable. There are no price caps, labour laws, or tenants' rights here.
0: Bring out your non-union-affiliated dead.
3: See now, here's a fella with a proper job. Manual labour, pulling a heavy car. None of this modern, big tech, soy latte, weakling nonsense. This is how a real man provides for his family. And I bet he does it without moaning about the cost-of-living crisis.
2: This is big tech, actually. I'm an Amazon corpse puller.
3: Oh, fucking hell! Really?
2: Yeah, I've basically gathered up all the warehouse workers and delivery drivers that die of burst bladders, and then we stick them in a cardboard box that's six sizes too big and throw them in a ditch. It's long hours, but the money's awful too, so there is that.
3: Bloody hell, it stinks. (laughs) I was expecting to get all dewy-eyed for me childhood, but not like this. I feel a bit
2: sick. (coughs) <coughs> if you want to sit down, mate, I can bung you in the grave at the end of my run, if you like. If there's no skin off my nose, i barely get paid either way.
3: Oh, can I? Oh, thanks, pal. See, listeners, community. That's what it's all about.
2: Just look out for the rats, will you?
3: Don't worry, I'm sure they're character building. I'm Danny Sutcliffe, and things were just better back in my day, reporting for see News.
2: being out in non-union affiliated dead That momentary peer through Danny's rose-tinted spectacles brings us to the end of our broadcast. We'll be back next week with the best bits of the start of Season 7, but until then, we leave you now, as always, with the headlines you may have missed. Easter holidaymakers are hit by long delays at ports and airports, as travel operators struggle with staff shortages and bad weather. Stuck in one place, hanging around uncomfortably on Good Friday. At least it's what Jesus would have wanted. The actor Will Smith is banned from the Oscars for 10 years for slapping the comedian Chris Rock. His wife Jada, however, should have no problem finding another plus one to go with. Amazon workers at a warehouse in the US vote to unionise for the first time, and will now collectively bargain for some bigger bottles to piss in the next time their boss flies to space. And finally, Scientists rejuvenate a 53-year-old woman's skin cells, making them 30 years younger, giving Carol Vorderman renewed hope that one day she might be allowed to return to Countdown. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye.
3: Hello again. It's me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with the right bargain for you, and no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind odd bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick, though. This deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar.